We're picking up in our sermon series in the Gospel of John. Uh, it was nice to be away last week. Uh, the other Eric was here in my place, so hopefully it wasn't too scary to have some imposter named Eric uh, while I was gone. Uh, but it is good to be back in preaching uh, from the Gospel of John. We're here at the end of chapter 10. And if you remember to two weeks ago, uh, we're actually going to be including some of the verses we looked at two weeks ago. We're going to start in verse 28, because in verses 28 and 29 that we looked at two weeks ago with a, a larger portion, they raised a question for us about the relationship between the Father and the Son. And they're different and yet alike. They are distinct and yet one. And so, yes, buckle your brains. We are talking about the Trinity this morning. That the Bible here in our passage in John chapter 10, we hear from the words of Jesus some about the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. So open up your Bibles or your bulletins. We are at the end of the Gospel of John. In John chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 28 through 42 as we hear the word of God. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 28, Jesus is speaking these words as we begin. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said you are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thanks for your word. We thank you, O Lord, for speaking to us through the word. 
We thank You, Lord, for the Spirit who has inspired Your Word and works even today. I pray, O Spirit, that You would help me to faithfully proclaim Your Word in spite of my sin and weakness, that Your words would go forth clearly, and that You would give give us open ears and open hearts and minds to receive Your Word as it truly is Your Word. Work in us and help us to know You more. May our hearts and minds and wills be brought into line with what You tell us is true so that we would live for You and bring glory to Your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here in John chapter 10, at the very end, we are going to see a a bit about this relationship between the Father and the Son. We're going to see how Jesus describes this relationship What's going on between God the Father and God the Son? How does He say they are in relationship? And then we're going to see how He defends His divinity. That they charge Him of blasphemy and He makes a defense. And then finally, I want us to see how we are brought into communion with God, into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so our passage, the first two verses, why we included them for this week, is that Jesus is here describing how his sheep, his people, are safe in their shepherd's hand. And so in verse 28, we read, Jesus describes himself as the shepherd who keeps the sheep safe in his hand. But then in verse 29... Jesus describes how the Father gave him the sheep and how no one can snatch the sheep out of his Father's hand. And we're left a bit confused, wondering whose hand are the sheep in? Jesus said, it's my hand, but he said no one can snatch him out of the Father's hand. Are we a two-handed tightness? What's going on here? Whose hand is it? But this question of whose hand misses the point that Jesus is trying to make. See, the point Jesus is trying to make is he is identifying his work with God's work. He's identifying his work with God's work, that he does what only God can do. He gives them eternal life and keeps them truly safe. He's saying, I can do what God does. And he emphasizes it in verse 30, where he says, I and the Father are one. Now, those words there provoke a reaction from the Jews who pick up stones to execute him as a blasphemer. They're going to just chuck stones at him until they kill him. So they accuse Jesus of being a man who is making himself God. He is claiming the authority, claiming the divinity that God alone possesses. And in one sense, the Jews were right to do this with someone who was blaspheming. Perhaps the most foundational truth in Judaism and in the Old Testament is that there is one God. Only one. If you read through the Old Testament, you're going to get that clearly. There is one God and only one. That Deuteronomy 6.4 was the summation of the teaching. It was clearly spoken. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. That all other gods were false gods. They were idols. That there may be angels, there may be demons, but they were created beings nowhere close to being God. 
But here, Jesus is describing himself in God-like terms, doing God-like things, claiming a oneness with the one God of Israel. And so you can see why some people were thinking, "Uh, you're not allowed to do that. But we need to look at Jesus' words more closely to hear exactly how Jesus describes his relationship between the Father and the Son. And we can do that by looking at what Jesus didn't say. See, Jesus chose these specific words to describe his relationship. There were plenty of other words he could have said, but didn't. Note that Jesus does not say, I am the Father. He doesn't say that. That's not what we read here. He also does not say, I and the Father are the same. He's not saying those things. Because Jesus upholds a distinction between himself and the Father. He is not the Father. He is not the same in every sense as the Father. There's a distinction there. But Jesus also doesn't say some other things. Jesus does not say, I am a different divine being entirely. doesn't say that. He does not say, I am another God. doesn't say that either. Because he's saying there is a unity between him and the Father. That though they are not exactly the same in every single sense, there is a oneness or unity that he's upholding. But this oneness is not just a fancy way of saying, we we make a really good team. That he's not just the construction crew fulfilling the architect's blueprints. He's not just the star quarterback executing the offensive coordinator's plays. That's part of what he's saying. But he does not say that I am perfectly in line with God's will. He's saying more than that. Jesus said the specific words of verse 30 because they convey a specific truth. He is using the word one intentionally to echo that Deuteronomy 6, 4. But he doesn't say, I and the Father are one person, but we are one. And so Jesus is describing this divine unity with personal distinction. And throughout history, creeds and confessions have taken the Bible's teaching on the nature of God and tried to state these as clearly as possible. So on the sermon outline in your bulletin, I've included the Westminster Larger Catechism's eighth question and answer, which asks how many persons are in the one God. And it says, three persons are in the one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And although they are differentiated by their own individual personal qualities, these three are one true eternal God, the same in substance and equal in power and glory. So what differentiates them is that the persons have their own personal qualities. What differentiates them is how they relate to one another. The Holy Spirit is not the Son of the Father. The Holy Spirit did not beget the Son. The Son did not give birth or anything like that to the Holy Spirit. That's how they are distinguished. But they share their eternal existence and essence. They are equal in power and glory. That all three of them are one God. 
And all of uh, you are so gone. It's so funny to see. This stretches the mind so far. In fact, on my week off last week, I was like, I got to figure out how to do this Trinity sermon. So I read this book. It's an introduction to the Trinity, 130 pages. And I was like, oh, this is going to be it. I'm going to get some really great way to explain it. Read through it, got to the end and was like, oh, I got... I got nothing better. Like, I got nothing. And that's part of the problem, in a sense, that any time we try to figure out some kind of illustration or analogy, we end up stretching it into heresy. Whether you want to think about the egg with the shell, the white, and the yolk, heresy. Whether you want to think about water with ice, vapor, and liquid, heresy. Like, they're all, they all end up in heresy. Heresy, And so what we have and what we must be content with is the Bible. What the Bible says, how it says it, and then what our forefathers in the faith have explained in the creeds and confessions that we have agreed on. That try to state what is hard to state. What we read, what we saw in the confession there. And we must trust these things and be content to be confined in Scripture's language of saying what we can say about God. And so there's a lot we can say. That we should see ourselves as children of the Father through union with the Son by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That we pray to the Father in the name of the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. That we give thanks that the Father sent the Son to accomplish our redemption, which is applied to us by the Spirit. So we can say plenty of things that the Bible says, even if we don't have just that perfect way of saying it. Oh, yeah, I get it now. We don't don't have that. I'm sorry. I, I can't give that. And so we might be a little confused about how exactly Jesus and the Father are one, But I hope we can see that Jesus at least says it. I and the Father are one. And he doesn't back down. See, if you notice, he's accused of blasphemy. People are like picking up stones. They're winding up their arm. They're getting ready for a good hit on Jesus with the stone. And Jesus does not stop them and say, Whoa, whoa, I I was not making myself God. Or, no, I, I, please, I was not making myself equal with God. I, I didn't say anything like that. Jesus does not deny the charge. He defends himself, saying, yeah, I said it. And he defends himself in two ways. First, he uses Scripture to defend his right to call himself the Son of God. And so he quotes a portion of Psalm 82, our Old Testament reading. As I said earlier, Psalm 82 refers to human rulers as gods because they've been given authority from God to make judgments and uphold laws. That's the stuff God does. Now, Psalm 82 does not tell us to call our governing leaders gods, so please don't fall for that or do that, okay? What Jesus is doing is pointing to an example where human beings have been called gods when they're not actually gods. And so Jesus is using an intentionally absurd argument. He's not trying to say, here's proof that I am the Son of God. He's trying to take these people who believe the Bible and say, 
Here's proof you can't throw stones at me for calling myself the Son of God. That if those bad, unjust rulers were called gods by God Himself, then shouldn't I, who have been sent from God to do the works of God and teach His truth, can't I call myself the Son of God? And so he uses Scripture to essentially trap them with Scripture in saying, I'm allowed to use these words. That's his first way to defend himself. It's, I don't want to say it's snarky, but it, it's clever. Okay? The second way he defends himself is he points to the fact that he is doing stuff that God does. That he is doing the Father's works. In verse 32, he asks, I have shown you many good works from my Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? So Jesus is referring to his miracles. And he's asked, you know, he's saying, these are works from my Father. And he's telling his accusers, consider what I am doing. Look at all these miracles I've done. Who can do these kinds of things? Ask yourself that. Is it not God? So Jesus is saying, I want you to look at what I'm doing. He says, even if you do not believe in me, believe the works. This is the Bible's version of if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, then it just might be a duck. Okay? If Jesus speaks the word of God and does the works of God, then he just might be God. Jesus knows his words might be confusing or challenging, and so he tells people to consider if the works he has done are the works a man would do or the works God would do. Now, the Jewish crowds that he is speaking to are not satisfied with that. They, they, they got their stones in their hand, their decisions made up. They are in no mood to consider the claims. And so Jesus withdraws. He escapes and he goes out to the remote country where John the Baptist had been baptizing at first. And the people in that region didn't have stones in their hands. They were willing to use their minds and consider who is Jesus. They had heard what John the Baptist had taught. And he taught a lot of stuff. But John never did any miracles. He was weird. He taught the truth. But this guy who John told us to believe in, he's done a lot of stuff that really only God can do. What this shows us here at the very end of the chapter is we need to consider the claims of Christianity. That if you do not believe in Jesus, the best thing you can do is just figure out what's the big deal with Jesus. Like, the world has literally changed because of Jesus. That everything in all the earth has changed because of Jesus. That this guy died on a cross with a small group of followers and it became the most dominant religion in all the world, crossing all sorts of cultures. Why? If there wasn't something there. That didn't happen with Zeus. That didn't happen with Buddha. Muhammad's trying to make it happen. He's hitting some barriers though. So what is it about this Jesus guy... Hmm. 
And so as we think about evangelism with our event coming up on Saturday, one of the ways to, to engage people in thinking about Christianity is just, well, what do you think about Jesus? I mean, he, he's kind of a big deal, right? Did you just make it all up? Was he a phony? Was he delusional? Are all these people throughout history wrong? Do we know better now? Like, what do you think? The people out in the remote country thought about it. And John tells us they believed. They weighed the claims of Christianity and believed. As we look at John 10 today, we probably are feeling both overwhelmed and underwhelmed. Nobody in this room is just plain old whelmed. That just never happens. Okay. You see, we may be overwhelmed because we try to comprehend how there is one God eternally existent in three persons. And our minds are like straining, like we're trying to do long division. And it's a big problem. And like we're trying, we can't keep track of everything. It just hurts your brain. Our brains feel inadequate to grasp the Trinity. And so we feel overwhelmed. But we can also feel underwhelmed because this passage has this really important idea to teach us. And it is that Jesus is equal to the Father. That Jesus is God. And if you believe in Jesus, you're like, yeah, got that. It doesn't sound that profound. Like, we, that's kind of the basic stuff. Like, our kids know that. Jesus is God. Check. And so we can feel underwhelmed. Like, this is basic stuff if you don't go too deep in it. So I want to challenge any of you who are both overwhelmed and underwhelmed, none of you who are just whelmed, you guys hang right, hang right there, okay? to challenge you that if you believe in Jesus today, see that you have a unity with Jesus as well. That you have a unity with Christ as well. That we who believe in Jesus are united to Him. The Apostle Paul in his letters uses the phrase over and over again that we are in Christ, which is the same kind of stuff that Jesus says in verses 37 and 38, that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Now, we are obviously different. Like, we don't become God. We are not God ourselves. There's a difference to our unity, but we are brought into communion with God. And so we who believe in Jesus have been chosen by the Father and given to the Son, united with Him, who fills us with His Spirit. That we now get to call God our Father because He sees us united to Christ. And the Spirit assures us that this is true, that we are cleansed in His blood, covered in His righteousness. And if that's what we believe, if we believe we are united to Christ, if God tells us that's true, then does our life show evidence of that union? See, Jesus, when challenged, said, look at my works. When Jesus was challenged saying, you're not God, he said, look here. If someone were to challenge us and say, you're not a Christian, would we point them to anything? Not proudly, no. But can we point to the work that God is doing in us because we've been united? 
If we quack like a Christian and walk like a Christian, then we might just be a Christian. Now, I guess we're sheep. So if we eat like a sheep and bleat like a sheep and follow the shepherd like a sheep, we might just be a sheep. And so does your life show the evidence of the Spirit of Christ in you? Jesus said earlier in this chapter, His sheep will follow His voice. We read back in chapter 6 that all whom the Father has given to the Son will come to Him. So if we believe in Jesus, we should see evidence of that in our lives. Evidence that His handiwork is visible in us. Not to pat ourselves on the back and say how good of a Christian we are, but to give glory that God is working in us. How amazing is that? So do we, like sheep, feed on the green pastures of His Word? Do we regularly read the Bible? Are we trusting that it's God's Word for us? Do we listen to the Word preached, trusting that God has a Word for us each week? Do we seek spiritual nourishment through Bible study or good biblical resources? Do we eat like Christ's sheep? Do we, as sheep, find belonging in Christ's flock? Do we prioritize joining together each week with worship among God's people? Do we enjoy spending time with one another? Do we pray for one another? Do we seek out our fellow sheep that can keep us safe from danger? Do we fit in with the flock of Christ's sheep? And do we, like sheep, listen to our shepherd's voice? Do we listen to His Word for more than information, but for commands? Do we listen to His Word knowing that we will never be perfect in this life, but that we will strive to follow where He leads, even if it's hard, even if we don't want to? Do we trust that He knows the best way for us? Do we follow like Christ's sheep? If you look at your life, and you're discouraged that you're not sheepy enough, you're not quacking like a sheep or whatever, then I want to encourage you with our New Testament reading from Philippians 2. You see, the Jews who accused Jesus had it wrong. They said, you, being a man, have made yourself God. It was the opposite, actually. That the eternal Son of God made Himself man in order to save us. That the eternal Son of God, being God Himself, became man. And He did so to humble Himself to the point of death in order to save people the Father had given to Him. And He saves us by pouring out His Spirit upon us, applying His saving work to us, so that we can read what Paul writes in verse 5, have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. He says, through the Spirit, you have that power of Christ's life in you. That the Father and the Son have sent the Spirit to apply the work of redemption in us, renewing our hearts, our minds, our wills, so we can delight to be Christ's sheep and follow Him as our shepherd. Now, we can't do the works of God like Jesus did, but what we can do is display the work of God. That Jesus did. For we are told that we are God's handiwork. 
that we have been given by the Father to the Son that we might also become sons and daughters of God through the Spirit. So may we live as the sheep, knowing that our shepherd's very Spirit is within us, conforming us to His image. Let us pray. Well, God, we thank You for Your Word. Though we are challenged by the complexity of Your nature, we pray that You would give us understanding to know You, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To delight in You. To live for You. Help us to love what You love and to follow Your voice. And I pray, O God, that You would help us to love the flock as well together. Lord, we pray that many would hear the call of Jesus' voice and come to Him, for You have promised that all You have given will. In Jesus' name we pray.